is Big World, Little Girls with Nancy and Chase. Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Big World, Little Girls. If you're looking for a place to explore your curiosities, you're in the right place and we're your girls. My name is Chase and I'm joined by my partner, Nancy. Yes, hello. Thank you for joining us on today's exploration. To start, I have a question for you. For me? Yes, you. Tell me, what do you know about the Ebola virus? Huh. Well, uh, I do know off the top of my head that it's a super dangerous viral disease that originated in West Africa. I was in like sixth grade when it came out and right now I'm thinking about a friend that I had when I was in that grade level and she was actually from eastern Africa. I remember the way that my peers would taunt her and almost threaten that she stay away from them because they didn't want to catch Ebola. Um, Now knowing what I know of course I can recognize how nonsensical these jokes were. Um, Like I said the virus originated in Western Africa, specifically in countries such as Nigeria, and spread throughout the Western world at a rapid rate. Not only do my peers' remarks exemplify the ignorance that comes with being that age, but also a lack of awareness concerning the continent of Africa, both geographically and culturally. To put it plainly, at the ages of 11 to 12, we really had no concept of Africa, and in my opinion, that's even continued up until today. You took the words right out of my mouth. I had a similar experience at school. Kids would constantly associate the virus in Africa in derogatory ways. If you remember, three years ago now, we experienced COVID-19. I noticed social discourses about COVID in the Asian community that paralleled the African community in Ebola. Mm. If you remember, COVID was referred to as the China virus by former President Trump, Mm -hmm. who also advocated for travel bans to and from the totality of Africa during the Ebola virus. This got me thinking about how non-Western territories, as large and influential as Africa and China, could be reduced to diseases despite their economic and political positions. Right. According to the National Geographic, Africa is the second largest continent in the world, holding the world's second largest population. The continent is also abundantly wealthy with 40% of the world's gold and 10% of the planet's internal renewable fresh water. Not to mention the global impact of African culture from music to fashion. It's hard to imagine how such an accomplished place could be so quickly reduced to a disease. Well, actually, it is not that hard to understand when you consider the historical patterns of assigning negative narratives to African societies since pre-colonialism. Deep. In the words of Professor Plagman, can you expand on that? <laughs> Let the exploration commence. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the history of colonization in Africa is far too vast to unpack within this episode. However, it is foundational to our exploration, and because of this, we will offer a brief synopsis of colonization and explain themes like exoticism. For more information, you can check out the articles linked in our bio. Thank you. The historical development from the pre-colonial to the colonial era in Africa spanned several years. However, one trend was consistent. The othering of Africa people, otherwise known as exoticism. 
Yeah, I think Curtis Kime defined it best. He says, exoticism portrays only a portion of a culture and allows the imagination to use stereotypes to fill in the missing pieces. Narratives created through exoticism were used to justify the parasitic nature of colonization. To expand, narratives about African people and societies being uncivilized and unsanitary gave permission to European intervention, though it was never solicited by African countries. As time progressed, these narratives continued to evolve and travel like wildfire until hearsay became history. Exactly. Phrenologist Frederick Coombs' work exemplifies this further. Coombs' scientific research reinforced the dominant idea that size, shape, and other physical characteristics of the skull were determinants of one's intelligence. Coombs' work misrepresented all Africans by contributing their quote-unquote savage-like behaviors and lack of intelligence to their ape-like skulls. This is important for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, his research highlights how important it was to maintain the narratives developed through exoticism, so much so that scientific research was done and published to support these ideas. His work was widely received across the Americas and Europe. Even if it was super false. Right. Secondly, and most notably, the habit of homogenizing African societies together persists today. Despite the vast geographical and cultural differences each African civilization has, Kuhn, along with other historical influencers, continued to group them all together and eliminate any unique cultural identity, making it easier for them to create their own. To repeat what Kaim said, exoticism portrays only a portion of a culture, and allows the imagination to use stereotypes to fill in the missing pieces. And that is exactly what was done. Wow, there is a rich history here. I'd still like more clarity on how rhetoric used by Western media during the 2014 West African Ebola pandemic reinforced those historical patterns of exoticism and othering of African people. And another question, this seems so long ago. How did it still affect me even in the sixth grade? Glad you asked. You see, during the 2014 Ebola epidemic, it became evident that the exoticization of African people in pre-colonial times still exists today, specifically through rhetoric used in Western media. Sarah Munson explains it this way. The U.S. news media tapped into Americans' fear and conceptualization of Ebola as other, scary, and African, which led to the othering of Africa, Africans, and those returning from Africa. That sounds exactly like the work of Coombe, Darwin, and a host of other scientists that specialize in the reification of race. They did work that supported their own narratives and disseminated those ideas, evoking feelings of superiority, fear, or both in their audience. Additionally, like you pointed out, these narratives consistently grouped unique African societies into one archetype. You know, for someone who doesn't seem to get it, you sure do get it. (laughs) But that's exactly right. During the 2014 pandemic, Western media utilized the historical African archetype in order to fuel fear-evoking social discourse. In a study comparing insider and outsider news coverage of the 2014 Ebola outbreak, it was revealed that Western news outlets like Globe and Mail, quote, provided unbalanced and somewhat sensationalized coverage, end quote, 
that framed the outbreak in terms of national interest. These outlets labeled the 2014 Ebola outbreak as a security and humanitarian crisis, claiming its limited health infrastructure as the main cause for the crisis. Adversely, news sources from Nigeria, like the Vanguard, framed the outbreak around its public implications. One other nuance to the Vanguard's reporting is the attention to the discrimination of Ebola. The study highlights the variation in representation of the disease based on the location. The rhetoric used in Western media portrayed only a portion of African life and allows the media to produce the rest. Here's an example from a real news segment. The Ebola virus is spreading rapidly in Africa. It has so far infected two of the Americans who have gone there to fight it. And here's the problem for Americans. In the jet age, the spread of a dangerous illness like Ebola is no longer someone else's problem. In a world linked by air, a case of Ebola is only a plane ride away from coming to this country. I mean, you hear it clearly in that segment the deadly virus in Africa, the Americans that went to fight it. This all attributes a distinct responsibility to Americans to come in and save Africans from themselves. Not only does this rhetoric strengthen a sense of national superiority, but it also resurfaces the historical foundation of fear created in the pre-colonial era. It appeals to the sense of salvation that Americans have historically held towards African societies and again, groups all of Africa into one archetype. Again, this is some deep stuff. Very. And guess what? It still persists today. You know, I want to tell you about a situation that happened not too far from the gates of Wake Forest. Susan Sherman, a teacher from Louisville, Kentucky, resigned from her job at St. Margaret Mary's. Now, this resignation was the result of a demand made by the school. Susan was asked to wait 21 days before returning to work after she had completed a mission trip in Kenya. This demand was, quote, due to the scare of Ebola, end quote. Now, I'm no genius, but isn't Kenya on the eastern side of Africa? Yes. In fact, it was more than 3,000 miles away from the nearest country to have been hit with the virus. That sounds a lot like my middle school experience and is yet another example of Africa becoming the homogenized other in American society. And as a result, being open is susceptible to stigmatization and discrimination. I think you got the hang of this whole thing. And <laughs> I hope you did too, listener. The lasting effects of exoticism in pre-colonial Africa exist today and continue to manifest through systemic institutions from health to education to government and has leaked into our daily interactions. The actions of our peers highlighted a larger Western attitude about Africa that are fueled by colonist narratives. So, Nancy, now I have a question for you. Oh, no. What is it? Do, do you want me to elaborate again? Uh... No. Oh. My question was, if this is so deeply woven into the fabric of our global society, what can we do to stop it? Oh, I got you. The first thing is to acknowledge that this is a deep-rooted issue that exists and affects us today. After acknowledgement, we can move forward into education. In the words of Nelson Mandela, quote, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Oh, and don't forget, after you gain education on something as socially impactful as this, 
it's your responsibility to share it. Luckily for you, listener, you can use this episode as a resource. Indeed. Well, this is all for today, Explorers. We hope you enjoyed today's deep dive as much as we did and continue to explore your curiosities. We want to leave you with one last takeaway. A quote from Sheriff Bojang. We are Africans. We don't have Ebola as a continent. Ponder on that one. Thank you. Bye. Catch you on the flip. <laughs>